Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Thanks for joining us this morning at Calvary Baptist Online. I really am glad that you're here. Uh, Glad that many of you have joined us every week, and we're so glad for that. And also many of you have shared this with your friends and family and, and that's very helpful, and we appreciate that very much. So my prayer is today that uh, the Lord really speaks to you in a powerful way. We pray that every week, but I actually want to start with a word of prayer as we kind of get into that today. So would you join me? Father, again, I thank you for who you are, and we're looking at truths today that I hope will just encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us, maybe even bring us to a new understanding of who you are. So Lord, I pray that our ears are open and our hearts are ready to respond as you speak to us. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to um, kind of wrap up this talking about one word that we've looked at for the last several weeks, and that's the word unshakable. Now, there's a lot that's been shaken in our world around us in recent days, and, and all of us are familiar with it. it. Family, friends, the connections we have there, school is different, uh, Teachers are now parents, and and trying teachers trying to teach online. We have graduation; those things. We have uh, our economic system, our businesses, our jobs, our government. You know, there's been a lot of things shaking. So what we're talking about is unshakable truths for uncertain times. And and I think that would be a a way to kind of describe what we're living in. We, we said it before, but we've all felt that shaking of uncertainty in our life. But there's one reality that cannot be shaken, and that is the presence and the plans of an unshakable God. So today, what we're going to look is the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter number 12. And in that book, specifically verse 28 is where we'll start, and it says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, notice, that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, For our God is a consuming fire. Now from this passage and some other verses we'll look at, here's going to be our thought for today. We're going to talk about an unshakable future. Now to be honest, as I even as I wrote that and I say this, that seems like kind of a lofty, lofty proposition talking about future being unshakable because we really don't know what's going to happen in the in the future, in the days to come. So how could we ever think that something future would be would be unshakable? Uh, you look at the stock markets. Uh, they have what they call futures. They're basically contracts trying to help you uh, have a better or at least a more understandable future outcome. But even that is, is nothing that we can truly, truly trust in. It's, it's truly shaking in our lives. So I heard a pastor say this week, and I, I, I agree totally. He said, believers can be unshakably optimistic about the future. Those of us followers of Christ, we can have a different perspective even on the future knowing who we are and, and who we believe in and what he is doing. So what is God trying to say to us during these shaking, uncertain times? Today we're going to talk about four things that we see in this passage and some others. And my goal, first of all, I want to just kind of walk through what we're going to look at, and then we're going to step back and unpack each one of these. I'll start this way. We're going to see that God's plan includes a great shaking, literally, earthquake, that will bring this world to a close. The world as we know it will someday end and shaking is part of it and it's going to usher in then God's kingdom. We're also going to look at that before that ultimate end shaking comes, that God has planned uh, increasing and uh, more intense uh, 
earthquakes and other calamities throughout the world, and they're all leading up to that final shaking that will end the world. We also know that before the end of this age, God makes an offer that anyone who believes in his son, they can have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then finally, we'll see that our response to all of that ultimately should be uh, worship, reverence and awe to this unshakable God. All right, so there's where we're going. Let's go back and and, uh, just kind of unpack each of those. We'll start this way. A final shaking is coming. I, I remember a, few, a couple of years ago, a group of us went to Guatemala on a missions trip and uh, had a great time. It wasn't long, it hadn't been long before that that the Antigua volcano erupted. So everything was still a little volatile. And we're, we're sitting there one night playing games, talking, and, and we, we started noticing things were moving. There was a bell that we rang for dinner and it started shaking and lights were, and we all knew we were experiencing an earthquake. For some, that was their, their first experience. It was something, even though it wasn't terribly violent, there's just still something about that when things become uncertain and shaking underneath you. You realize the Bible tells us that that kind of a shaking, there's going to be an ultimate, final, literal shaking of the earth that's going to bring an end to this world as we know it all the time, ushering in something even better. And and here's how Hebrews describes it. You go back a couple verses, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Let me stop there and, and talk about what that is. That's actually a reference to an Old Testament historical event in the life of Israel uh, most of us are familiar about God giving the Ten Commandments to Israel. And when he spoke those commandments, he did speak to Moses, but he also spoke in a way the people heard his voice. Chapter 19, verse 18, describes this atmosphere this way. The whole mountain trembled greatly. It was shaking in an earthquake. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Now, that sounds, at very least, ominous, perhaps a little bit scary. In fact, a couple chapters later, the people said, let's not ever do that again, Moses. That was just a little bit out of our comfort zone. You, you let God speak to you, then you talk to us because that was something that was shaking to them. So verse 26, in reference to that, at that time, his voice shook the earth. And as unsettling as that was, it has nothing compared to what's going to happen. He goes on to say, but now he has promised, yes, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, not just the, the physical planet, but also the, the skies, the heavens above. And now he gives an explanation of the prophecy, verse 27. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What we're seeing is a confirmation of a prophecy that's weaved throughout Scripture about this final violent shaking. Uh, when we lived in California, people would talk about the big one that was coming. You know, that's just whether that's a legend or people are thinking the Teutonic plates and maybe California falls off into the ocean, whatever the thoughts are, they talk about the big one. Well, according to the scriptures, there is a big one coming, an earthquake that is literally going to shake, bring an end to the world that we know. And, and notice also, he says, though, that whatever cannot be shaken, There will be things that remain that are unshakable, and those things, as we'll find, is God's kingdom and all who dwell in it. As we were talking about this week, this picture kind of came to my mind. Most of you probably have some of these ring around the house, a a snow globe, and as you shake it, right, and you move it, and everything inside seems to be moving, but as you see this thing settle down, there's certain things in there that, that never move. 
There's stuff that shakes and there's stuff that's, that's, that's not set still, but there are certain things that still say in the very same, and that's the description he gives. The earth is going to shake, but when it's done, there are certain things that are unshakable, that will stand, that will be standing when all of it is over. Some other passages, just to give you an idea, the scriptures. In the Old Testament, prophet Haggai says in chapter 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while, I will once more, look at this, shake the heavens and the earth. But I want you to notice, Haggai says it's not just the physical earth, it's also the, uh, the political, the social, look what he says, the sea, the dry land, in verse 7, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. So now we're not just talking about the physical earth, now we're talking about the nations involved, the people. It's going to be a, com a, a complete change of every system, including nature and, and the politics. But also notice, it's not just about destruction. There is something being ushered in. There's something coming that's new, that's better. Uh, we, we already read it in chapter 12 of Hebrews, where he says, things that cannot be shaken will remain. There is something that is not shakable, and it's going to last through this shaking. And then here in Habakkuk, the end of it, he says, and I will fill this house with glory. At the other side of this shaking comes the glory of God being revealed in a new way. And then look how Isaiah puts it, Isaiah 13. Uh, Isaiah says, therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. But now notice how God describes what happens next. Verse 17 of chapter 65, God says, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. New heavens, new earth. It's not just a shaking to tear it apart. It's a shaking then to usher in something so much better. And he refers to it as a new heavens a new earth. This becomes a New Testament theme. Uh, Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, but John also mentioned it in the book of Revelation chapter 21, where he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. They'd been shaken, they'd been taken away, but what remains is this new heaven and new earth. It, what we're talking, this is going to be something beyond comprehension. Uh, in fact, Isaiah says, you won't even remember the former. It's like when we, it'll be so wonderful, so big that we get there. What former? What? I don't remember anything from the past. There's nothing that compares to how incredible and how good this new heaven and new earth will be. And then when everything else is gone, then it's going to be us face to face with our creator. And he'll be the only one left to deal with. So we know that's coming. The end, the final shaking is coming. But here's something else I want us to look at today. The shaking has actually already begun. Here's the reality we, need, we have to consider. Before that end time comes, God has appointed that the final shaking will actually be preceded by smaller earthquakes or smaller calamities. And what that's happening is it's putting the world on notice that something incredible is coming. It's kind of like the preview. It's, 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 it's something is coming, and these things are helping us. And the Bible likens it, and some of you will understand this, likens it to childbirth, literally to labor birth pains. Now, I've had a front row seat at uh, three births, um, and that was an incredible experience. But I honestly have no way of saying that I know what birth feels like, okay? All you moms will agree with me, right? You don't know what that feels like. And I just say to you, kudos. Wow, you guys are incredible. But I do remember we, a good friend of ours, um, he and his wife, were they're having their first child. 
and uh, it, it, was, it was a rough delivery, to say the least. Uh, she, she pushed for so long and so hard that w- by the time it was done, she'd actually, her eyes, she'd broken the blood vessel. She had black, both eyes were blackened from just how hard she'd worked. And then insult to injury, they had to take the baby C-section anyway. So that's the, that in, its, in and of itself. But I remember walking in that room and seeing her for the first time and going, wow, she, poor thing, she looks just exhausted. And she was smiling, but just so tired. And so I just simply asked a question, how are you doing? And I was, I was talking to her, but her husband, who had been in the room, he, he just piped up as if I was talking to him. And he seriously said, and here was his quote, this has the hardest, been the hardest day of my life. <laughs> I saw her head snap so quick, and she gave him a look that could kill as if hardest day of your life, right? And he had, he had no idea what it was going on. So, so you can understand kind of the analogy that God is using. These smaller calamities, it's like, it's like birth pains. It's like, in fact, let me give you how Jesus put it. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, and maybe you recognize this, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. He goes on, verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be, look, famines, earthquakes in various places. But notice, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Notice a couple things he said. The end is real. There is an end to all this coming, but it's not yet. It's still to come. It's still in the future. And he says, before that end comes, there will be wars and famines and earthquakes, you know, calamities in that sense. And he refers to them, as we said, as birth pains. So again, one doesn't have to be experienced in childbirth to kind of get a hold of this analogy. The birth pains are a part of the process of bringing that child into the world. It it happens different ways, different intervals, depending on the person, depending on the circumstances. Uh, But typically, the birth pains grow in frequency because as you go from, you know, the contractions are eight minutes apart and they're five minutes apart and two minutes, you know, they they grow in, in frequency, but also in intensity, in the idea that they get harder and longer as it's getting closer to the birth. I remember watching that little thing beside the little chart, and, and I was amazed. Wow, that was a big one, hon, and she's screaming, and, and I, I thought it was great, you know, understand? Because that's what the birth process is. It grows in intensity and frequency. But we can't forget that the labor pains, that's not the goal. <laughs> the goal is that wonderful moment on the other side of those pains the main event, you know, slap, wah, the baby comes. That's what we're looking for. So understand, these birth pains that God describes in the Bible, these smaller earthquakes and calamities and things that we've experienced, wars, these are all just leading up to this moment of great hope, this moment of God's kingdom coming. It's a picture that God's kingdom that is on its way. And so every war that we've experienced or do experience, every natural disaster, every hurricane, every, every disease that we, we talk about, famine, all of those things, you're hearing God's voice in at least two different ways. On one hand, you're hearing God say, I am still God. I am still holy. I, I, I do not wink at sin. Sin has to be punished, and that's why creation is in the state it's in. You'll hear that, but you'll also hear that I am a God of hope, 
And all of these things are just leading up to an ultimate wonderful event when I usher in my unshakable kingdom once and for all. So it's, it's this mixture of, of what God is saying to us. So I don't want us to be aware of any of those things. What God is doing is he's trying to get our attention through these birth pains. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Nature itself is waiting. Creation, because of what what it's going through. For 20, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And notice these two words, in hope. Creation was subjected to this curse because of man's sin, but God in hope uh, subjected it, knowing, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, look at this, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. All of these things that we, we talk about, the calamities, the wars, the natural disasters, all of this is part of birth pains leading up to the big event when God ushers in his kingdom. So let's bring it forward to 2020. Um, I've heard the question that, uh, often in the last few weeks, and, and I believe one man I read answered it quite well. Here's the question. Is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? Well, the answer, simple answer, is yes, but, and please don't miss the context, yes it is, but so is every disease and earthquake and war and power struggle that we have seen from centuries since Jesus left. It's all reminding us of the stain and the sin and the curse of the world, that Jesus is going to one day bring all of this to conclusion, and so each of these things are a part of these birth pains. And for however long that God chooses, now in my personal opinion, it seems like they're getting more frequent and more intense, these pains, but the, the point is that God says these are all leading up to that final ultimate event that this world that's been corrupted by sin is just waiting. These birth pains are part of its waiting because they're waiting for the king to come and put all this kingdom into place once and for all. So, We know that there is a final shaking. We know that there are shakings that we experience on a regular basis that are leading up to that. But now back in Hebrews 12, we're given this this incredible hope-filled truth, and that's this. God provides his children with an unshakable and unending kingdom. Now, this is a message that weaves its way literally all throughout the scriptures. But Hebrews expresses it very well. Let's go to verse 28 again. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You might underline that phrase for receiving a kingdom because here's what the, the word literally says. It says we have already received his kingdom. If we're his children, we're already a part of that kingdom. And so what, as we said before in verse 27, what can be shaken around the world, everything is created. It will be shaken. Everything is temporary. But whatever is unshakable, like this snow globe, whatever becomes unshakable will remain, and that is the kingdom. And, and the promise is for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, we have already received this unshakable kingdom. In fact, look how Paul describes his relationship to his kingdom. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, the shakable world is what he's saying. This isn't our home. 
This temporary world that's got issues and problems, we're a part of it, but it's not our home. We're, we are transients here. We're resident aliens, if you would. But our true home, our country of citizenship, is in heaven. Now, this whole prophecy of an unshakable kingdom, it does what a lot of biblical prophecies does. It has a, a now and a not yet element in it. Let me explain. When we're talking about the fact that in the future, after life is done, and uh, as God's child, I know that heaven is my home. I, I know that. I have no doubt in the world that if this were my last day, that I would see Jesus. I know that I can have that eternal life. I know that fact. I know that Jesus went away, and he's preparing a place. He's building a place for his children, just like me, that I will come, and I will inherit this forever. I, I know that one day my address will change, and it will have a, a Golden Street address somewhere in heaven. I know that as a fact, but that's a, a not yet. The heaven part of my, my citizenship, that's a, a not yet. Now, however, right now in this world, I am already a part of God's kingdom because I've been saved by his son. And, and so that's what gives us as a Christians a different perspective on future. It gives us a different understanding, it gives us a great joy because here's the point, whether you live in New York City or Chicago or you live in Taylorville, Illinois, or you, you live in a desert in Africa, or you live on the rivers in Bangladesh. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're one of God's children, you have a kingdom which has already been given to you, and your life now and forever is unshakable in Jesus Christ. You are part of an unshakable kingdom through your faith in Jesus Christ. And it means that with absolute unshakable certainty, you can say things like Paul did in Romans 14. So he says, so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. No matter what happens to you, it doesn't phase this kingdom. You belong to God. Verse 9, he says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You have an unshakable kingdom right now that will last for eternity and did you notice every time we've talked about this, anything being unshakable, there's always a connection to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is the most significant event in all of history. And to have anything that's unshakable, you have to go back to that point. And so if you've received God's gift of eternal life, if you know Christ is your Savior through him now and forever, you are part of his unshakable kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to experience some pain and struggle here in this earth. I mean, we live in a shaking world, and as long as we're living here, and this is our temporary home, it doesn't mean that as Christians we're not going to experience or even perhaps die in an earthquake or in a hurricane or by a disease. It doesn't take us away from the things that happen within a physical world. That verse in Romans that talks about the birth pains that creation feels, and, and you almost feel as the earth is shaking, it's almost like it's groaning. Well, that next verse says about us, verse 23 of Romans 8, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Our bodies are groaning to be redeemed. We know that this is not where it's, it's going to be ultimately. We're here and, and God has a plan for us, but we know that, that we still are experiencing life here. But here's what's really great. You go down five more verses and we hear one of the most famous verses of all, Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As believers, we have an unwavering, unshakable expectation that our loving Father is working in every situation that we face for our future good. We have that promise. We have that in Scripture that God, our Father, is working everything for the good of those who love him. Our lives will not be without trouble or pain or sorrow. But here's what it means to be part of an unshakable kingdom. You keep reading in Romans 8, verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christians, that's our unshakable future. So our final thought, final observation is our proper response then to this. What do we do with this information? And our proper response, as he says in Hebrews, is genuine worship. What do we do with this gift of an unshakable kingdom? Well, look back with me at Hebrews 12, 28. He says, with all this in mind, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. When I read those phrases, I'm immediately reminded of Paul's words in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, same word again, to God, which is your spiritual worship. God, is, who's given us this incredible kingdom, this God who is unshakable in his presence, and now we're his children, he deserves, he, his mercies put upon us this, this desire and this responsibility even now to give him our worship. And back in Hebrews 12, he gives us a specific reason at the end of this chapter why this should happen. Go back and he says, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. Your version may say, instead of all, may say reverence and godly fear. That's a word that's interesting. Why would we have godly fear? Verse 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. Think about that picture. Fire that burns is also fire that heats. Fire that uh, wipes out forests is also the fire that cooks your, your dinner. It, fire has this, this incredible force, but it depends on how it is used. And when we think of God as this, a God who is a consuming fire, that's an uncomfortable image for some of us. We have pictures of God, and that wouldn't be the picture many times that we'd have. And some people would say, well, the Old Testament God, he's that God of wrath, and he's kind of angry God, but the New Testament God is much softer. Let me make sure you understand, God's the same Old Testament and New Testament. He still hates sin. God is still against and punishes sin. And to say that the Old Testament God had no grace, we think about his, the work of grace he had when he covered Adam and Eve after they were found naked. He has grace when he provided a boat for Noah and his family. It was grace when he provided a family through Abraham that would ultimately bring forth his son who would be the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The God of, of wrath and the God of judgment has also been the God of grace since the beginning of what we know and he still continues. He is a consuming fire. 
And for us to ever diminish the purity of God and, and act as if that something, he's not as, not as hard on sin as he used to, we do that to our own peril because we're still talking about a God who, uh, as kids under his grace, we still are, are, are children of a father who, who loves us, and, but he deserves our respect. He deserves our awe, our, our godly fear. Now, now we know that, that we deserved judgment, and now that God's grace has saved us, we realize even how big that was. And even that truth ought to, to, to just push us to say, God, I, I recognize your awesome power and, and I reverence you because we live in awe of the God, a consuming fire. We obey him because we love him. We also obey him because of who he is. He is a consuming fire and he deserves that from us. The Old Testament started a phrase and it was repeated several times, Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fact that we recognize who God is and we, we hold that in respect, that's when we begin to think as God wants us to. So, so the question comes down to us, are we worshiping this God or are we worshiping our stuff? Are we worshiping our possessions? Are we worshiping the things that are shaky? Or are we worshiping a God who is unshakable? Is our heart fixed on an unshakable God? Is he our treasure, the one we're looking for, or are our hearts fixed on the things around us? And that's what causes us the most uh, issues is because he, he, that is, that's what really our minds are, are truly wrapped around. Is God our security? Is God, put it this way, is God your ultimate retirement plan? In other words, do you have an unshakable future? Through an unshakable God who gave his son so that we could live. This, this section in Hebrews 12, it actually begins with a very powerful warning in verse 25. It says this, listen carefully, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. They heard God and they refused him as he spoke. And if if we have the truth and we have the word and we choose to, to not listen, they were held accountable for everything that God said and they did or didn't do. And do you understand, as you hear his truth, you too are held accountable. This is an incredibly powerful encouragement, but a warning that when God speaks to you, what do you do with that? When God speaks as he has today and he shares about his unshakable kingdom and his peace, how do we respond to those truths? Here's what we know. You have to receive this kingdom. This kingdom not, can, cannot be shaken is something that, that Jesus put it this way in Mark 10. Truly, I tell you, everyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It's a kingdom that must be received, and it has to be received in the sense of a little child. What is that? It's very simple. It's, it's, a, hum, it's a humility it's a child who recognizes, I, I can't do this on my own. I, 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 it's a child who recognizes they have a father in heaven caring for them. It recognizes that, that we, we have a gift of eternal life and that I can't do anything to earn it. And we simply in humility receive this unshakable kingdom, an unshakable future. We admit, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. And I confess that he is Lord and I, I choose to follow him with my life. We have to receive his kingdom as a child would. So when this world shakes all around us, do you have an unshakable hope? Do you have an unshakable peace? Do you know when this world ultimately 
comes to an end, do you have an unshakable kingdom and an unshakable future? If you do, are you living today with an acceptable worship, reverence and awe for the God who gave his life for you? What is your life representing when it comes to the worship of this almighty God? I want to pray for us today, and, and as we do, I want to pray for you and pray with you. But I, I want to encourage you to think about this. Do I have an unshakable future? Has there been a point in your life when you realized that you needed to receive his kingdom? And you did. As a child, you said, God, forgive me of my sin. And, and personally, you received his gift of eternal life. If not, would you do that today? Would you simply, and, and you can repeat a, pray, a prayer, something like this after me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. I confess that I need him and I will follow him with my life. Would you pray and receive that gift of an unshakable kingdom today? If you know Christ as Savior, are you serving, are you worshiping him with reverence and awe, the God who gave his life and the God who is in control of all the unshakable God? Are we serving him with that reverence and fear? Let's pray together today. Father, I thank you for what you have shown us. I believe that you have made it clear that you are an unshakable God, offering an unshakable kingdom to those of us living in a very shakable world. So God, I pray that your spirit speaks to the hearts of those listening. And if there's one yet without Jesus, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and they would, before this day is over, they would know an unshakable future. And for those of us who know you, that we would stop and, and just investigate our own lives. Am I truly worshiping you, God, with with reverence and, and, and awe and with everything that I have. God, just let us truly acknowledge and worship you the way you've called us to. We love you and thank you for all these things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.